Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. We have to understand that when Jesus comes back, I think we tend to think, I know I used to think this because I didn't really think it through. We tend to think that Jesus is going to come back and he's just going to get here and then he's going to go, all right, poof, everything is back to perfection just like it was before the fall. I don't think that's going to happen. You know, Zechariah tells us that the Lord Jesus will actually rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Ezekiel chapters 37 through 39. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Because, again, the outcome of all of these events we're reading about is full and permanent reconciliation to God. So that's going to happen. We know that's the final thing that, that is, you know, everything's coming down to that. So the descriptions that we're reading about here and we'll read a little bit more about, you can find these and you can actually do a little of your own reading on this if you want to. But read Zechariah 12 and 14. And I think you will see a parallel to what's being described here. As I said, Revelation 19 also, but Revelation 19 obviously gives us all kinds of different details that aren't in either Ezekiel or Zechariah. But I'm going to show you in a minute also that there's a connection, I think, to Daniel chapter 11. But let's go into chapter 39. So, son of man, prophesy against Gog and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against you, Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. I will turn you around and drag you along. I will bring you from the far north and send you against the mountains of Israel. Then I will strike your bow from your left hand and your arrows from, will drop from your right hand. On the mountains of Israel, you will fall, you and all the troops and the nations with you. And I will give you as food to all kinds of carrion birds and to the wild animals. You will fall in the open field, for I have spoken, declares the sovereign Lord. I will send fire on Magog and on those who live in safety in the coastlands, and they will know that I am the Lord. So notice through this, the world is, is coming to understand who God really is through all of this that's happening here. So I will make known my holy name among my people Israel. I will no longer let my holy name be profaned, and the nations will know that I am the Holy One of Israel. So the outcome of this battle is that the world comes to know that God is God, that the God of Israel is the true God. Israel comes to know that Jesus is the Lord. When, when, when he says that Israel will know that I am the Lord, I think that this is basically it's the Lord Jesus saying, and now Israel is going to know that I am the Lord. That's something that they haven't known all of these years, right? So verse eight, it's coming. It will surely take place, declares the sovereign Lord. This is the day I have spoken of. Then those who live in the towns of Israel will go out and use the weapons for fuel 
and burn them up, the small and large shields, the bows and arrows, the war clubs, and the spears. For seven years, they will use them for fuel. Now, let me just say this. Some people, they struggle with the the description of the weapons and so forth because they're descriptive of ancient weapons rather than modern weapons, right? Well, it would have been hard for Ezekiel to describe a modern weapon because he had no he had no context for that. But did you know? I mean, you know, sometime I don't know. See, look at some of the film from some of the some of the conflict in places like Afghanistan and some of the stuff going in on in Iran and stuff. You've got soldiers on horses. You've got them uh, using what we would consider to be outdated weapons, but they still are very effective even at this time. So, I mean, obviously there are going to be modernized weapons that are going to be used in this, but I think that these other kinds of weapons will also be used. They're still being used today. But here's the thing that this is probably the one passage that has caused everybody to say that this is before the tribulation period because it says for seven years they will use them as fuel. So, well, we know the tribulation period, the whole period of time, even though the you know, most intense part of judgment is the second three and a half years, but we know that that whole seven-year period is the, the time when the Antichrist comes to power and so forth. So it seems to fit. Like this battle will take place, and then there's a seven-year period where they get to burn the fuel. And like I said, this is why many have put it before the tribulation period. But I don't think there's any need to do that. I think if we understand, I think if we understand this, it'll help us to make sense of this. We have to understand that when Jesus comes back, I think we tend to think, I know I used to think this because I didn't really think it through. We tend to think that Jesus is going to come back and he's just going to get here and then he's going to go, all right, poof. Everything is back to perfection, just like it was before the fall. I don't think that's going to happen. You know, Zechariah tells us that the Lord Jesus will actually rebuild the temple in Jerusalem going to be a building project. That's going to take time. I think as we look at the, you know, just the bigger picture of scripture, I think what we need to understand is that the kingdom, the millennium, when Christ comes and sets up his kingdom, remember everything we read about in the Bible is very much focused on a very small geographical area. There is a whole world that is to be subdued. And it's going to be a process. It's going to take time. And so seven years, this, this could be used for fuel for the different activities that are going on. Who knows? They might use it in constructing the temple in some way. So I think if we understand that when Jesus returns, that it's going to begin a process of restoration and rebuilding that the people that live through that time and especially Israel that comes to that time, they're going to participate in it. And those who are glorified at that time, like we would be, we would be part of that process as well, but the Bible seems to 
make it clear that we will rule and reign with Christ. So that to me solves the kind of the seven-year dilemma. So they will not need to gather wood from the fields or cut it from the forest because they will use the weapons for fuel and they will plunder those who plundered them and loot those who looted them, declares the sovereign Lord. On that day, I will give Gog a burial place in Israel. In the valley of those who travel east of the sea, it will block the way of travelers because Gog and all his hordes will be buried there. So it will be called the valley of Hammon Gog or the hordes of Gog. For seven months, the Israelites will be burying them in order to cleanse the land. All the people of the land will bury them. And the day I display my glory will be a memorable day for them, declares the sovereign Lord. People will be continually employed in cleansing the land. They will spread out across the land and along with others, they will bury any bodies that are lying on the ground. After the seven months, they will carry out a more detailed search As they go through the land, anyone who sees a human bone will leave a marker beside it until the grave diggers bury it in the valley of Hammon Gog, near a town called Hamona, and so they will cleanse the land. So again, this is like, it's really interesting stuff. Seven months of burying the dead and then a marker. You know, what is this about? Well, some have speculated that this it has to do with nuclear, there, there's a nuclear conflict that happens. There, could, there very, very well could be. But the description in Zechariah, when you read Zechariah 14, and it describes the plague that the Lord strikes those that come up against Jerusalem with, it says this about the plague. It says that it will cause their eyes to melt in their sockets and their tongues to dissolve in their mouths. Now, some have said that that is a description of what would happen under an intense nuclear thing. You know, nuclear thing just burns everything up, consumes it. And so maybe that's what's being referred to here. Some of this stuff we don't know. We can can try to guess, So it could be that, we don't know. But verse 17, son of man, this is what the sovereign Lord says, call out to every kind of bird and all the wild animals, assemble and come together from all around to the sacrifice I am preparing for you, the great sacrifice on the mountains of Israel. There you will eat flesh and drink blood. You will eat the flesh of mighty men, drink the blood of princes of the earth as if they were rams and lambs, goats and bulls, all of them fattened animals of Bashan. At the sacrifice I am preparing for you, you will eat fat till you are glutted and drink blood till you are drunk at my table. You will eat your fill of horses and riders, mighty men and soldiers, and every kind declares the sovereign Lord. So just again, read Revelation 19, and it's almost identical to what we just read here. So verse 21, I will display my glory among the nations. And all the nations will see the punishment I inflict and the hand I lay on them. From that day forward, the people of Israel will know that I am the Lord their God. And the nations will know that the people of Israel went into exile for their sin because they were unfaithful to me. 
So I hid my face from them and handed them over to their enemies, and they fell by the sword. I dealt with them according to their uncleanness and their offenses, and I hid my face from them. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says, I will now restore the fortunes of Jacob. I will now restore the fortunes of Jacob. So all of those promises that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then to David, that one of his descendants would sit upon the throne, all of those promises about the land, all of those promises that were given through Moses and the law and through Joshua, all of that will now, finally, after all of these centuries, come to fruition. It will all be realized finally. I will restore the fortunes of Jacob and will have compassion on all the people of Israel and I will be zealous for my holy name. They will forget their shame and all the unfaithfulness. This is a key verse right here. They will forget their shame and all their unfaithfulness. They showed toward me when they lived in safety in the land with no one to make them afraid. So this is what we need to see. They do not yet live in the land in security. They don't. Not a secure, peaceful situation. But there's one coming. And it's going to come through the covenant with the Antichrist. And I believe that that's what God is referring to here. He says they will forget their shame and all the unfaithfulness they showed toward me when they lived in safety in their land. So when they live in safety in the future under the covenant of the Antichrist, of course, they're they're living still in rebellion to God. But, but we know from other biblical passages that it's, this, it's during this time that the Lord comes. And, and this is, you know, the battle of Armageddon is also called the battle of Jerusalem. And so the whole nation is involved in this conflict. But it happens... I think, in the midst of this, this covenant. So they've made the covenant, they're at peace, everything's cool, we're doing our thing, maybe the temple's rebuilt, you know, all of that kind of stuff that's going on. And it's during that time that this confederation from the north, and now I mentioned Daniel 11 earlier. When you go to Daniel 11, you're gonna see at the end of the chapter, maybe like the last 10 or 12 verses or something like that, it's talking about the Antichrist. And it's talking about how he's pitched his tent between the seas on the holy mountain and how the king of the south is pushing up against him and the king of the north is coming down upon him. And when you read Zechariah 14, you see that there's this assault on Jerusalem and the city is taken and the women are raped and it's this horrific thing. And then the Lord comes to the rescue of the nation. 
So as we look at this, this whole picture, again, I think what's being described here is the final battle. Like I said, this is just one of the Old Testament outlines of it. So, verse 27, when I have brought them back from the nations and have gathered them from the countries of their enemies, I will be proved holy through them in the sight of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord their God, for though I sent them into exile among the nations, I will gather them to their own land, not leaving any behind. I will no longer hide my face from them, for I will pour out my spirit on the people of Israel, declares the sovereign Lord. Now, two other reasons why I believe that this is the final battle. Number one is chapter 40 takes us into the millennial reign of Christ. So the rest of Ezekiel is about the rebuilding of the temple, the resetting up of the priesthood. We're gonna talk about that next week because for some people that's ridiculous. There's no way there could be a future temple like this because that would nullify everything that the New Testament says about how Jesus finished the work and so forth. But, but that's what we have. So if you just look at it chronologically, the end of this battle takes you into the millennial reign. But there's one more thing. In Revelation chapter 20, this is the other place where Gog and Magog are referred to. Look at this in Revelation chapter 20, verse seven. It says, when the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog and to gather them for battle. You know, I always wondered, Gog and Magog, why here? Now this, this is the end of the thousand year reign. This is the end of the millennium. Christ has been ruling and reigning on the earth for a thousand years. Satan is now released for this brief season. And he musters these forces together and they're referred to as Gog and Magog. Now, because of this, some people have thought the Ezekiel Gog and Magog battle, that the timing for that is after the millennium. But again, if you just walk through Ezekiel, it does, that, that makes zero sense. That, it can't be that. But here's the question, and this struck me one day. Why is this called the battle of Gog and Magog? And I thought, because it's a continuation of the battle before the millennium. It's those same forces that sought to destroy Israel and to prevent Christ from sitting upon his throne. It's those same forces now. And it's a reference, notice, like, like the earlier one was, it's a reference to this gathering of, of people from the four corners of the earth. And I think when you look at the details like we have been doing of the Ezekiel 38 and 39 battle, that's what it's talking about. It's talking about these hordes. It's talking about this, these groups of people from all over, from the north, from the south, and they're coming against Israel. And so when you look at Revelation 20 and Gog and Magog, well, that makes perfect sense. It's, it makes perfect sense to me, maybe not to you, but to me, it's like, 
That's it. That's the connection. It's just the second attempt by the same forces inspired by the devil to overthrow Christ. But of course, it fails. Thank God. So that is Ezekiel 37, 38, and 39. So where are we in, the, in this journey? Well, again, I think specifically 1948 is that, that is where the, the dry bones were, were brought together and given tendons and flesh. And that's the state of the nation to this day. And it will remain in that state until God puts his spirit in them. And that will be at the end of this conflict when they cry, because what all of this will bring them, of course, to the place of crying out to the Lord. They will cry out for him to deliver them. And he will, and then he will put his spirit in them. And then the, the vision of the dry bones will be fully and completely realized. So there's all kinds of interesting things going on in the world. And you know, there's all kinds of different perspectives on what's going to happen in the future. We know this. We know that as far as God is concerned, Jerusalem is the center of the universe. So we can, you know, just kind of watch and see what happens there. But what we have to be careful of is being too dogmatic. And that's what I've been saying. You know, we, we have to, we can go as far as the scripture will take us, but we have to recognize that we don't always have the right understanding. Again, you know, the assumption that this is talking about Russia, that is, that's an opinion. That's a theory. That's an idea. It might be true, but it, then again, it might not be true. I, again, I think personally, uh, you know, some people obviously still are going to hold tenaciously to the idea that the next thing on the prophetic calendar is the invasion of Russia because that's that's the way it goes you know it's going to happen before it's going to happen before the tribulation or it's going to happen you know before the rapture well to me again i think that this is a, clearly a description of the final battle so this this is going to happen when christ returns so stuff to think about And now, let's join Pastor Brian and Cheryl in the studio as they share about this month's resource. So, Brian, we're offering a book from our good friend, Charlie Campbell. Yes, Charlie Campbell is the director of Always Be Ready, which is an apologetics ministry. And one website. we recommend a lot. Yeah, we recommend it a lot. And this is a one-minute answer to skeptics. Now, Charlie has done this book, and this is like a revised version answering 50 of the top objections and questions, kind of current things. You know, things change over time. There are different arguments and things. And what I like about this book is it's, it's an updated current addressing a lot of the things that people are 
kind of throwing out there today as their objections to Christianity. And some of the topics that Charlie covers in this is why doesn't God just appear to us in a public setting and prove he exists? Or the New Testament authors, did they steal details of Jesus' life story from other ancient religions? This is what some skeptics say. Or that the God of the Old Testament commanded the Israelites to commit genocide? Or that the Bible condones slavery? So these are real issues in our society today, and Charlie tells you a biblical answer for these things, and it's great. So great little one-minute answer to Skeptics by Charlie Campbell. That's our offer for this month. Again, this month's resource is a book titled One-Minute Answers to Skeptics by Charlie Campbell. You can order the book One-Minute Answers to Skeptics by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Brian Broderson. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Ezekiel. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.